Welcome to the Fisher's Second Ward Podcast. This is a podcast to help members of the Fisher's Second Ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints get to know their neighbors in the ward. The ideas and thoughts that we share aren't necessarily a reflection of the official doctrines of the church. We just hope to strengthen our friendships and our faith by sharing our stories. Thanks for listening, and let me introduce you to a member of the ward. So that member of the ward we're going to introduce you to, first of all, this is Jeff French, and uh, we are going to introduce you to the one and only Ken Williams. So surprise, surprise. (laughs) So those of you who are expecting to hear the uh, nice voice of Ken Williams as he starts this podcast I'm sorry to say it's not his nice voice, <laughs> but but we decided this week to turn things around a little bit because Ken has had the privilege of meeting new members of the ward and introducing them to the ward in some aspects of their lives, varying mm-hmm. from the Ogdens, which are older members in our ward who have been long, long, long time members in our ward, uh, to new people such as uh, Brother Payne, mm-hmm. who you introduced or talked to yeah. just recently, and um, also Brother uh, Hanson Blake. Yes, yeah, we got Hanson and. Yeah. Josh McMahon and Josh McMahon and we there's been a whole list of people that Eric Tesh. It's been it's been a blast. It's been yeah. so much fun. And it, it's been fun listening to it as well. And it, it, it has. And in fact at one point um my daughter in law, who is not a member of the church, mm-hmm. she has listened to some of these podcasts fun. as well. So it, it enables people who are moving in. We have a whole bunch of slew of new people who have moved in. Um the Suzuki's. Yeah. Uh, that would be nice to hear his story as yes. far as coming back, and also Josh Richmond and his wife. I have talked to some of them, so oh, we're, you have we're working on it. Okay, okay. So, so, so this is our opportunity to get to know Ken a little bit more, and so with that, we'll go ahead and anything you want to start off with. Well, I, was, I told Marcine the other day that I was doing this. She has uh, been a holdout. She <laughs> has said that she will listen. Okay, but she will not. Uh, speak. Okay. And she might want to rebuttal later <laughs> on. Is that it? Okay. She might. But I said, I told her that uh, I'll just answer as if it were her. Okay. Yes, Ken, he's one of the most amazing people I know. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. She may come on to rebut that. Who we'll knows? we'll Who see knows? how that goes. So uh, starting off, Ken, uh, tell me about, we'll start at the beginning. Um, lifelong member of the church. Yes. Okay. Uh, tell me about your birth family, things to that extent. Growing so, up, first of all, I want okay. to throw this in as well. You have told me, and you probably, I'm sure you've told other people as well, growing up, you were an introvert. Yes. And now, do you consider yourself an extrovert? I do not. I can I consider myself a hybrid. Okay. Um, I am an introvert who can act really convincingly okay. <laughs> like an extrovert. So the, the introvert-extrovert um, definition, I guess, I guess it's not a controversy, is where you get your energy from. Okay. And an introvert is going to get their energy from from being alone or with a, with a small group, group of close friends. Uh, and then and a larger group or, or being with strangers is draining. And for me, for the most part, it's draining. Now, the thing that's really interesting is that my group of close friends um 
<laughs> includes like the ward. I was, um, I think the most recent example of this was uh, my dad's funeral was a week and a half or so ago, and family members that I hadn't seen in many cases for decades were there, and I just I was energized just interacting with them uh, to the point that Edison <laughs> was tugging on my sleeve, Dad, it's time to go. <laughs> so there are times that, yes, it's uh, I, I love being around, interacting with people, um, making those connections. But um, when it when it gets to be draining, it's draining, and I need to come home, and I just need to to recharge. But I can act very much like an extrovert when I need to. So, so people who would you think that people who saw you as just just in passing would weigh you more on that extroverted side? Do yes. you think? Okay, I think I think so. People who who know me now uh, are shocked mm-hmm. to hear my, me describe myself as an extrovert. Um, I was reminded recently. <laughs> Well, I have a brother who's a year younger than I am, and he's he's much more social than I was uh, growing up. He always had girlfriends. I always there were always girls that I had crushes on, but um, I wouldn't talk to anybody about it because then I'd have to talk to somebody. <laughs> okay, I, I would have uh, the, my crush if I decided to call her when back in the old days when we had to actually call and talk to people on the phone. I would have my list of these are the questions I would ask. So, how was school? And what oh, you had a list already. I had my list. I had okay. my script already. Okay. Okay. And um, my mom, love my mom, but she thought because I was so I was so deeply introverted when I left for college, uh, went on my mission, came home. Marcin and I had dated before my mission, and then um, got engaged a couple of months after I came home. But my mom, not knowing that I actually could be social, thought for sure she was convinced that my brother would come home from his mission a year after I got home, would find Mary a girl before I even figured out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, but I fooled her because we got, uh, we got, Marcy and I got married uh, four months? No, six months after I got home. Oh my. So it was quick. That was quite quick. So, so growing up, so you've mentioned a couple of brothers. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how many in the family total? Six kids. And I've you're got, the oldest. Right? I'm the oldest. Okay. Uh, most handsome. Um, <laughs> probably the smartest. No, I've got three brothers and two sisters. Okay. And then the youngest is youngest is Mark? Yeah. And what's the age gap between? 17 years. Oh, my gosh. And two days. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's kind of interesting. The um, Marsha's mom is the last surviving of her family. Okay. From... Five, I think, and the age gap between her and her, she was the youngest, and the age gap between her and her oldest sibling was also 17 years. Wow. And her oldest and she were the only survivors for a while until mm. uh, her sister passed away at 103. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, she lived a long time. So, but anyways, so you grew up where? In San Jose, California. San Jose, California. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. So what was the church like back then, and what was school like for you? So school was um, – I was a studious person. I, I, One of my great gifts is uh, – my dad called me a chameleon, that I could figure out what people wanted, and I'd give it to them. Mm-hmm. And so teachers – 
if I figured out this is what they wanted, uh, I could give it to them. I had a, a teacher. This was, I think, freshman year. Mr. O, we called him Mr. Ozorzak. He was just, he was a riot. And um, I did a, a report. Uh, we had two term projects, and one of them, he had a list of, of notable people we could write these reports on. One of them was Joseph Smith. I thought, I know a little bit about this guy. <laughs> so I wrote a report on Joseph Smith, and I got a D on it. <laughs> you got it. It was a legitimate D because right. I didn't do – it was not a well-written paper. It was accurate, right. but it was all coming from the perspective of somebody who was a member of the church that right. I would quote things about his life or about the um, about the church that were just common knowledge. Right, right. As Not knowing that I had to actually cite references for those things. Ah. And so I did my second report on Sigmund Freud. Now, I've never read a book on it still, <laughs> on Sigmund Freud, but I figured out, oh, he wants citations, he wants mm-hmm. references, he wants quotes from books. So I pulled three or four books from the library, and I, would, I wrote my report, and I would scan through the book to find something that supported what I was saying, and I'd throw the reference in. I still, <laughs> I got an A on that report. And um, that was one of the things my mom just hated about my talents, is that I, I never wrote a rough draft. I, I sat down and I wrote a final draft, every single paper that I ever wrote. Um, teachers would talk about, you need to do a an outline. And I thought, why? Why do an outline? Because you just sit down, you write your paper. And this is back in the pre-computer days. Right, right. I did it on a typewriter. Right. And so there was no going back and making corrections like... Well, but you could. You could, but, right. Uh, so to those, Which is why you do your... Yeah. To, so those... Outline and rough draft. Yeah. So millennials, so for those who might know not <laughs> what a... If you're not like Tom Hanks, who has 200 and some typewriters... When you wrote on the typewriter, unless you had a typewriter and there were typewriters like that, that you could go back and erase. Yeah. I, otherwise, it was, what did they call that? Whiteout. Whiteout. There you go. <laughs> yes, whiteout. They would have whiteout or whiteout tape where you would have to do that and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So I, so that, I, I was able to study for the test. I mm-hmm. was able to, I did well, didn't really have to work all that hard. Um, which is good and bad, but uh, so that was school for me. I was in um, some of my favorite classes. I was in yearbook. I okay. loved doing that. Um, got to do some writing for that. And uh, as far as church is concerned, we lived a block from the church, and so church was easy to. <laughs> it was easy to. You know, I'd go to Mutual and right. walk there, walk back, seminary. My mom would come wake me up. We had early morning seminary. I'd walk there, walk back. I don't know that we ever drove, even when it was raining. We just, just walked. Walked a block, and there we are, which was super easy for right. um, all the all the uh, activities and events. So was so the church was fairly strong out there, I would imagine. It was pretty strong. We had... Um, I love that. This is back in the days when the deacons would go collect fast offerings as well. I still like that, by the way. So, I do too. <laughs> I, I think there's some great things, but yeah. there's one cul de sac that we called it Mormon Court because okay. there were four members that lived in the cul de sac, and we loved getting that route. Right, right. That had Blackfoot Court. That's five minutes it. done, right? <laughs> That's right. Okay. So we had on our street, we had um, at least one other member about uh, four or five houses down. And so we had a pretty strong. Um, community. We had just 
not quite as dense as Utah, but probably similar to what we have in the Fisher Second Ward. Just okay. there's some areas you look at where um, Bishop James lives, and there's just this whole cluster of members of the ward in that in right. that neighborhood. And there are right. other neighborhood neighborhoods that are the same. Yeah, it, it's it's fun to see that. Now, do you do you have any lifelong friendships from that growing up period as you were growing up there that you still maintain in some aspect? Um, to some degree, that because I was so introverted, I didn't have a lot of really. I didn't have a large circle of friends. Right. Um, I have a lot of people that remember me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, as an example, my dad's funeral, there's a, <laughs> I'm walking by this person who looks so familiar. It was my brother's best friend. Okay. And so we have a great, uh, great connection now. Right. Um, but it was, we weren't tight back then. Um, there was, one day, because we lived so close to the church and my dad was always involved in youth activities and things, I think I was the teacher's quorum president and my quorum was four, mm-hmm. four members. Yep. So there was me, the first counselor, second counselor, and secretary. Yeah. And I came home from mutual one day and my dad said, so where was your quorum? And that was a weird question because my dad was not at the church, so I didn't know how he would know that. And I said, oh, I don't know. Well, president, would you like to know? <laughs> Yeah, okay. I guess I guess I should. They were in jail. Oh my! So my quorum was quor- in jail. Your quorum. So, oh, that's interesting. They decided to have a meeting in jail. They had a meeting without the uh, president. <laughs> a rebellion. They, they made a bad choice, <laughs> and they found themselves in juvenile hall. Uh, so that was the the group of kids that were in my quorum. I don't have contact with them, but some of the kids that were older than me, some of the kids that were the younger than me, Facebook has been great. I've okay. been connected with some of them to some degree. Um, but I, I, probably my best church friend from my grown up years is a guy named Russ. He lives in Utah and I, and I, we're still pretty, pretty connected. Uh, I see him periodically when I go out there. So, so this is, being an introvert coming out of high school with the expectation of being LDS. Your dad had been a, a bishop at some point, mm-hmm. and, and so he was your bishop at some point. Uh, he was actually, I don't know that he was my bishop because I was away at college and then I went on my mission. Oh, that's when he got called. Yeah. Well, so he was after my kick, time. Yeah. Kick Ken out of the house and we'll. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, so, so your mission. Mm-hmm. So what was. Was that something you always expected to do? Yes. See, so I, yeah, okay, so it was. Yeah. Did you want a specific place to go to? Did yeah. you have, what were your expectations? So my expectations, this is, now, there's a, there's a cultural, and I think it's shifting, but there's a cultural um, mindset, I think, in the church, or has been, that the ideal for uh, at least United States called missionary is you want to go foreign. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go foreign, then the next best is you go uh, domestic but foreign speaking. Right. And right. then next is the uh, staying stateside and speaking English. And then, of course, there's the going to Utah is the, <laughs> at the bottom of that. Out of darkness. And so um, in college, my first semester, second semester, I was taking ASL. It was my second semester. Taking ASL classes, fell in love with the language. Okay. And so I wrote, I called my dad, and I, he, w- he was in the bishopric at the time. And I said, Dad, 
uh, my papers had been done. It was the stake president was just waiting until it was time for him to to send those off. I said, Dad, add a note onto my papers, which were actual papers back then. You're right, right. Uh, that I am learning ASL. Mm-hmm. I would love because my my dream was. I would be called to an ASL mission, which I think at the time that was like the Midwest States mission was one of the big ones. Um, I had some friends that, that had been in that mission. And so a whole several week long um, series of events that uh, nobody knew where my papers were. My dad re- <laughs> called me back. Uh, we can't find your papers. Oh well, I, I know I turned them in and right. I know I had... So the stake president, who was, I think, it might have been um, this, it might have been President Hunter, who was the son of Howard W. Hunter. Okay, he might have been the stake president. Okay, he just ended up hand delivering the papers. Oh, when he was out in Salt Lake. So, so he'd already. So by the time that you had asked your dad to notate on your papers that you are learning ASL. Mm-hmm. He never got a chance to do that. Never had a chance to do it. Okay. And, but I had put on there that I had learned, I'd done three years of Spanish okay. in high school. Okay. So I was trying to maybe interrupt that process, not go to Mexico or some right. Spanish-speaking country. And I get my call. I was super excited. So I did all the things. I went to my brother's dorm room and opened up my call. And you're called to serve in the Portugal-Lisbon mission. And I, my, I was just crushed. <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> I was going to Lisbon. Okay. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that was going to be my question. Did you know where Portugal no, was? No. No. It was I, in South America somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Brother Costa. The, yeah. Sorry, Brother Costa. So, so, so how long of a chance between – well, let me ask you this. So Lamar Rock, mm-hmm. um, he, at one point he, he had told me that um, he thought that there was a how do i say this right he, he he felt that there was a lost opportunity when kids graduated from high school at 18 and they served their mission at 19 there was that year plus in between where the kids would either go to school or work or whatever the case might be you were part of that crowd where yeah. it was before the 18 the change of the age right that interim period how was that for you? You were, you were at school. Uh-huh. So, okay. So so I actually graduated high school because of the, the age cutoffs in California. I was 17 when I graduated high school. So you had two years. So I, I had a year and a half. Year and a half. That'd okay. be way. Okay. And it was great because I realized that I could be, I, I didn't have to be who my parents thought I was. Okay. Um, which some people may hear that and think... <laughs> But I was this I was this shy introverted kid. That's who my parents knew me as. That's right. kind of how they treated me. That's kind of, that's what they expected out of me. And I'd go to college and and have um, friendships right. with anybody anybody that I wanted. And I didn't have to answer to my mom. Um, I didn't have to answer the twenty questions. So where'd you go first date? You know where'd you go or where are you going to go? Who you're going to go with? I are, are you sure? Are you going to go with? All the th- no, okay, no, I'm not interested. In, okay, okay, <laughs> in any of that anywhere. So, um, it was great for me to really start growing into who I who I felt like I was, and I didn't have to um, meet anybody's expectations. 
Okay. So from the time of your call, so who was a prophet? Was it President Benson or was it President Hunter at that time? It was Benson. Was President Benson? So I think. <laughs> late six, late eighties. Late eighties. Eighty eight is when I got my call. Okay. All right. So you and Marshall, well, eighty seven. I got my call, and then eighty eight is when I went. When you went in, and so um, MTC in Provo, mm-hmm. and then you went to Lisbon. Yeah. So how was your mission experience? It was hard. Okay. It was hard. Um, I had a, a mission president. Um, I I didn't have the the deep love and admiration for my mission president. He was a wonderful man, but he was an extrovert, and I was not. And he had this this uh, program. He called it the Rota de Contactar, the contacting wheel. Okay. And there were several things on there we were supposed to do every day. One of them was a door approach. One of them was a street contact. One of them was a, um, maybe a, I don't remember everything that was on there. There were probably six or eight different things, different ways that we were supposed to contact people, uh, a bus contact or a, a train contact. And for me, talking to somebody that I don't know, it was at the time miserable. And plus the language you were just learning. The language was was t- to start out. I remember one time that my trainer, who was fantastic um, at supporting me. <laughs> right. We did the door approach, and I just stood there. And I can understand, or could at the time, understand American Portuguese. Okay. Portuguese with the American accent. Right. Um, so I could understand him, but the Portuguese with the Portuguese ac- accent, they sound like they're talking with marbles in their mouth. <laughs> I just, I, it took a long, it took about four or five months for me to get it. Right. And uh, so there's this woman who did not want to have anything to do with us. And she just was laying into him and, and she pointed at me and she was yelling something about me and he defended me. So I gathered from the context that, and, and your friend here, he doesn't, he doesn't even know what's going on. He's just standing here (laughs) stupidly looking at and my companion said, no, oh, no, he understands everything that's going on. <laughs> I thought, okay, no, I don't, but thank you. So it, it started out the, the language. Now, I was in the MTC, our district of 10 or 12. I was better than everybody. This is just kind of a continuation of right, school. I right. was able to figure it out. And so I get to the, the country, and I had it all figured out. I knew the vocabulary better than everybody, and I could do the discussions better than anybody and I could pray in Portuguese and and then I start talking to people and I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea what language they're speaking. It is not the same language that I learned in the MTC. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> so were you in Lisbon initially then or did they send you out and about? Uh, just a an an outlying area it, the the um the first area that I was in we kind of opened the area. It was Camarat which is a um a town adjacent to Sakavang, which is where the the church building was. Okay. It wasn't a building; it was a kind of a storefront. Right. But it's very close to where the um, where the temple is now. Right. And so, uh, first thing, here's my companion and I. I don't know the language. I don't know anything about the the country, and we got to go find a place to live. So we're knocking doors. <laughs> oh my! Like day one, and uh, not 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 interested in your message. No, 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 no. Yeah, we have a message. We're not going to share it with you. We're looking for a place to live. Do you know anybody who has a room to rent? And so within a day or so, we found a place to live. And But um, because my my president wanted 
um, he, he, every interview that I remember was, so Elder Williams, how are you doing at opening your mouth? And I struggled with it, the whole, my whole mission. And so I felt like I was not, um, I don't know how to say it. I, I felt like, like I was not able to do much right. in the mission from, at least from the president's standpoint, because I, I refused to open my mouth. I had uh, district leaders and zone leaders, elder uh, president's really concerned because you're not willing to open your mouth. And it wasn't a willingness. It was just, it was a, a terrifying fear right, right. of having these conversations. Now, I'm a lot older now, and I realize that those conversations are just, um, the, the fear and anxiety, that's just all in my head. And nobody is worried about, they're, they're not criticizing or judging nearly as much as I imagine because right. they've got their own junk that they're dealing with. Everybody has their own junk. So the was it in? So you basically opened up this area yeah. where you were meeting at a storefront, and then you just said that the temple is not too far from there. Yeah. So so we'll we'll jump ahead a little bit and kind of do a wrap around this because you were able to go back. Mm-hmm. Were you not yeah. when the when the was the temple dedicated or was that? Were you there during the dedication or? No, I wasn't. I went, I was able to go to the open house. Okay. Okay. Which was phenomenal. So between the time you were a young missionary, mm-hmm. wet behind the ears, to when you took, did you take, you didn't take it. As I went by myself you went for the by open yourself. house. You went, okay. How was, did you, were you able to visibly see the difference as as far as? people not interested in their church or just trying to find a place to now that there's actually a temple there. Can, what was that like being able to do that? The The most significant thing for me was, um, this is 30 years after my mm-hmm. mission. Uh, I'm going to a place where I'd not been, I'd not been back for 30 years. And when I was there, we, the missionaries would uh, talk about how, much we wanted a temple. The members wanted a temple. We would pray mm-hmm. that there would be a temple. And there was some discussion that it's going to be between Portugal and Spain. And Spain got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Indianapolis Temple and the Lisbon Temple were announced the same day. So oh, that was a very special day for me. Uh, living in the Indianapolis Temple District and then having served my mission in the Lisbon right. area. And um, so I... I I told Marcine, we were out to breakfast one day, and I said, I want to go to the open house. And she said, have fun. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that sounds a lot like permission. So uh, with my FedEx flying benefits, I was able to to fly out there standby for cheap, really cheap, and um, got into a tour with the the open house. And the the guy, there are eight or ten of us, and and he's just kind of going around the group, and where are you? from and have you been here before have you been to the temple before and i explained i was a missionary here 30 years ago and he shook my hand um we're about the same age and so he was on his mission about the same time i was but he was up in porto okay and he shook my hand and he said thank you thank you the work you did back then has brought us to have this temple today and i'd never thought about it that that 30 years ago all the all the experiences that i had all the people that i met that I taught as members, as not members, those that were baptized and not, was laying the groundwork for, groundwork for having a temple today. 
Absolutely. It was, I, it was amazing. Yeah, it's that type of um, affirmation, I guess, maybe for lack of a better word, for to see. Because a lot of times as a missionary, you don't see that. You don't see the seeds that you're planted. Right. And you and you have to wait until they grow. And so that is that was awfully nice of that brother who did that. Yeah, so it was it was amazing. Yeah. Now, so we're going to backtrack now. Okay. College days. Yep. You had said that you had started dating Marcine before your mission. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did Marcine write to you while you're on your mission, or so let's four times. Four times. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, the four times were happy birthday, Merry Christmas, happy birthday, Merry Christmas. And that was it. Okay. That was what I got from her. Okay. She was consistent. She was consistent. Yeah, she was and. consistent. So, <laughs> okay. So then when you got back from your mission, you went back to San Jose mm-hmm. and then back to BYU. Back to BYU. So Marcy and I had dated and she dumped me. Okay. I got the phone call, which okay. was an actual phone. Right. Right. <laughs> and we need to talk. And I thought, no, we don't. <laughs> There's nothing I want to talk about. I don't want to open my mouth. <laughs> and I got the, I got the, uh, I think we should just be friends. Uh, now, in her defense, <laughs> she did not want to wait for a missionary. Okay. And I really didn't want to have anybody wait for me. But it's, as a missionary, it was kind of cool to know that somebody was waiting for you. Right. So she dumped me and that was at the end of, towards the end of my second semester. Right. At BYU. So I had a whole other semester where I hated her. She was, because I didn't know how to do anything other than... Well, then four letters that she sent to you, that you should be privileged because of that. I was super privileged. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, not that I have ever rubbed it in, but it was the third Sunday in March that she crushed my soul. Oh, but um, not that you remember it, right? <laughs> not at okay. all, not at all. Okay. So, um, I got back and she had dated this guy named Jerry and... She told me later that every time that she went out with him, he just didn't he didn't compare to me. And I, of course, I didn't know any of this. I was right. on my mission at the time, right. and that was great. So I came back, and and really towards the end of my mission, I knew that she was not um, married, mm-hmm. um, and my heart had softened quite a bit. And so I I think I reached out to her. And she reached out to me, and I don't remember how uh, I don't remember how it all happened. But she, I remember she called me up one day, and she was the activities co-chair okay. in her ward, and her um, her partner in crime was not very helpful, and she just needed to unload and wanted some advice on how do I deal with this clown that mm-hmm. that is supposed to be helping me with the activities, and so. Her strategy with me, and it's been, it was successful as freshman. It was successful after my mission was, I need help. Can you help me with something? And I come in super, um, willing to, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Let me help you. Let me give you some some advice. Here's what you can do. And, and, uh, so we started talking and I went back to Utah in February, got home in January, got, went back in February and we started dating. And in, so she was calling you on the phone at this time. Yeah, this is back in the old days. Oh, okay, okay. Before, yeah, when texting long and, distance was actually a bill that you had <laughs> yes, to pay, right? Yes, so, it was. Oh, my poor parents. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready. Go. 
phone bill will be cheaper if you go That's to college. Right. <laughs> and you're, you're at BYU, so the tuition's not that bad either. <laughs> That's right. So my dad was uh, saying something about how uh, I told him I wanted to go back early. The semester started in April. I don't remember. April. I think it was going to go back for spring. Right. And uh, he asked, no, really, really, why are you going back? Well, I thought maybe I can find a place to live. I can get a job. Okay, what's her name? Uh, Marcine. <laughs> so dad knew. He, well, yeah. Yeah. He had it all figured out. So I went back and, and um, we started seeing each other every day. And then six months later, he got married. Six, ma- six months after I got home. So we, I got back in March, in February, and we had a friend. It was her friend, but I had met him as well that, they got married. He was from Hollister, California, so mm-hmm. not too far from where we lived. Her parents were going to go out to the wedding reception in California. Hey, my parents are in California too, 30 minutes, 45 minutes away. So we decided that it would be fun to go out. It was a 12-hour drive right, or so. Right. We'll go out. And then in the back of my mind, well, and I could meet her parents and she could meet my parents and... So when we came back from that trip, I was terrified. I was terrified, but uh, came back. We came back engaged. Oh, congratulations! Two and months after my after I got home. <laughs> and and that was in that 19, was in April nineteen ninety two nineteen eighty no nineteen ninety nineteen ninety we got married in ninety. Oh, so it's been thirty be thirty four be thirty four years this year. So where were you married at then? Jordan River. Jordan River. Okay. And then, then, so at, you graduated from college, mm-hmm. uh, degree in advertising. Advertising. Which I've not uh, done anything with <laughs> okay. advertising ever since. Okay. I, I, for some reason, I thought you'd graduated with a degree in ASL. Mm-hmm. No. That was just nope. a strong, was it even a minor or it was just. I took all the an, classes that BYU had at the time. Okay. Which was. Not many classes. The right. last class that I took was an interpreting class mm-hmm. and very helpful. Uh, the homework every day was interpret something mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. Turn on the radio and interpret for 30 minutes. Turn on the TV, interpret for 30 minutes. Go to church and interpret for 30 minutes. And that's how we discovered the, the vocabulary that we didn't know. And because if you're, if you're watching a news report on Utah Lake and the pollution, oh, I don't know how to sign... Pollution. Pollution. Right. So we'd write that down and we'd go to class. Okay, these are all the words we don't know. And then the teacher would mm-hmm. would uh, help us. But um, yeah, that was all I did. I, I got extra credits for my uh, Portuguese language. Right. I was able to test out of some classes. Um, and ASL was an interest, but I didn't do anything more significant with that. So at, at the time that you were dating Marcin... Was her mom involved with the mm-hmm. ASL community here? Did you know that at that time? or I didn't know much about what her mom was doing. Right. I knew that Marcine knew ASL, and that's okay. one of the reasons that, that I got interested in the first place was okay. because she was talking about me. and Okay. Just like freshman girls would do, they she would look at me, and she'd turn to her friends and sign something and look back, and they'd giggle, and I thought, I've got to figure out what they're saying. <laughs> Okay, so we know the uh, genesis for this <laughs> ASL interest. 
Okay. So listen in on conversations that are occurring halfway across the room. Okay. So 1990, you got married in August then? That would have been? Uh, June. June. June of 90. And then uh, a number of kids came along. A number of kids came along. A number, the number being five. Okay. Okay. And no grandkids yet. One on the way. One on the way. Yep. Okay. And two are, two are married. We got two married, yeah. Two married. Both of the girls are married. Yep. And the boys aren't, but Brennan is... He's been seeing somebody and yeah. we like her. And Yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, the um, so as far as what was the decision coming here? As opposed to going out to California, because you grew up in the San Jose area, mm-hmm. right? So went to school at BYU, met Marcine there, um, developed friendships and things like that. Instead of heading west, did you immediately after college, you came here? or No, we went to uh, the Tri-Cities in Washington State. Okay. We lived in Kennewick. And I did that. I was selling knives. I was selling, I was working for Vector, selling okay. Cutco knives. And opened up a branch office there, worked the summer, and I wanted to, to make it a year-long thing. Mm-hmm. My office sales weren't enough for me to be promoted to, uh, dis- to I can't remember the structure now. I was a branch manager. It was going to be a, I think it was going to be a district, and I wasn't big enough to be a district. Right. So they promoted me to office manager. Uh, branch is just a summer position. Right. And as we got into October... Because of the the sales structure, it's mostly college kids on break uh, that were the sales staff. I just didn't have the momentum. Mm-hmm. And Jan would call us weekly and invite us to move out to Indy. And we declined politely every right. time until right. she said the magic words, I'll pay for the truck. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> so October of 93 is when we moved out here. Oh, my and so, so October, married in 1993, so did you have Allison at that point? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, I think Marcine may have been pregnant okay. at that time. So she was actually born here. Then. She was born here. So all the kids were born here then. Yep. So so you came here, so you weren't in the sales aspect, so without a job then. Yes. Okay. We have jobs out here too. Right. I know. <laughs> so a little bit of faith coming out here. A lot then. of faith. A lot of faith coming but out. But somebody paying the, the rental truck to get our stuff out here. So that, that helped, helped a out. lot. So what was that first gig that you got while you were? RCI. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you were there quite a bit then. I was there for 11 years almost. Okay. They're selling that building. I don't know if you knew that or Mm-mm. not. Yeah, they're selling the building on Michigan Row. Okay. So Ken and I have, and I, I was an RCI employee as well, um, but Ken was there during the heyday and stuff like that. Um, wonderful experience for me. Yeah, it was. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, I was a vacation counselor for a lot of years. Um, now, from the, the introverted kid who didn't yeah. like talking to people, the inbound calls, I did outbound sometimes, but mostly inbound calls. Um, I was pretty successful, and I promoted to team leader, and I did. I was a group performance specialist for a while, which was kind of the admin uh, tracking oh, attendance yeah. and productivity yeah. and that yep. sort of thing. And um, learned a lot. I had some great mentors there. So overall, it was a great experience. Right. And... Um, Moved into human resources, had some phenomenal experiences there, and then my position was eliminated. 
So that was fun. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so that happened, you were there 11 years, so that yeah. would have been 2000. Oh, now I don't remember. It was after 2000 because we were there in the middle of the Y2K stuff. Okay. Okay. Everybody panicking and stuff like that. So at that time then, job got eliminated. You had all the kids at that time, right? Not quite. No, we had, um, I think she was pregnant with Dalton, Dalton. at the time. Okay. And so then you found yourself looking for another gig. Yeah. And I was uh, working on my MBA at the time. Okay. And I was the state young men's president at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> working on getting my pilot's license at the time. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so I had a few months where I um, didn't, didn't have an income. And so that was tough. Uh, but I went from there to... B window, I think it was my next. Yeah, B window call center there, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. So I was the manager for the call center, going from a, a several hundred seat call center to a like an eight seat call center. Big difference. Yep. And they had me um, handling some of the data management as well. So how long were you there for? About nine months. Nine months. It was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. And and then you went to uh, Conseco, which is now CNO Financial. Okay. They were in Carmel at that time, yeah. weren't they, at Carmel? Okay. So Ken and I share kind of, we're, um, or maybe I, I consider, I don't know what Ken considers. I, my longest employment was probably less than what Ken's has been. My longest employment was when I worked for the church for nine years. Um, but, and, and, and no control of our own, right. downsizing the case might be and stuff like that. We, end up finding more work and doing the best that we can. Now, Marcin hadn't, so Marcin hadn't gone back to school at that time, had no. she? So you were the only one earning money at that point or yeah. lack thereof and stuff like that. So you went to Conseco and then from Conseco you went to FedEx, is that? Well, I, I did both for a while. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, when Edison was born, spectacular uh <clears throat> Fashion that he story. Was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so because I was the one, I was the breadwinner, um, when Edison was born, Marcin had, uh, the, the accident had totaled the van and a car payment was not in the budget. Right. And it was, the, it was not a huge car payment. It was less than a couple hundred dollars. I think, I don't remember exactly. It was probably around $200 a month and I couldn't swing, I couldn't swing it. So I needed a second job. And ended up, um, my, my boss at Conseco had worked for FedEx and a former home teacher of mine, Dave Johnson worked, and I think he still works there, worked at FedEx and they both, uh, Dave told me I should go Mm -hmm. and, um, Russ, my, uh, my manager had said, or Ray, it was his name. He said, yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity. And he said, I'll work with you on the schedule. So they were very, very willing to work with me. And um, so I started uh, working nights at FedEx, and uh, then my day position was eliminated. Again. That, again. And what happened was there's a guy who came back. The guy that I had replaced mm-hmm. uh, was on military leave, and he okay. came back from military leave. Okay. And they decided they don't need two people, and Aaron was the guy that, he built all the systems that I was working with. Working on, it didn't make sense to 
keep both of us. And it certainly didn't make sense to keep the guy that was not the one who built everything. Right. So that was fine. But now I went from an income that I was able to barely sustain the family to a very part-time income. I was working 15 hours a week. That's not a lot. That's no. not a lot. So when did you transition into full-time there then? A lot later. That's wow. when Marcin went. She went back to school. She got her nursing degree. And uh, we struggled. We mm-hmm. struggled a lot for several years. Right. And then the kids saw that. And then Eddie, I mean, you just touched on it. I think that's a, a lot of people don't know the backstory about Eddie. First of all, for those who may be listening – and if you haven't figured out by looking at the ward roster, well, you can't now because all the kids are basically out of the house. Right. Uh, Ken's kids are alphabetical. Yes. They, super convenient for us. They were born <laughs> in alphabetical order. And <laughs> alphabetical order and also only six letters. Seven letters. Seven letters, sorry. Everybody's so, name. Yeah, seven letters. So um, it's Allison, mm-hmm. uh, Brennan, yep. uh, Carissa, yep. Dalton, yep. and... Edison. Edison. Yep. Yeah. A B C D E. Yep. And so Eddie was Edison was born while your wife was working. She was working. She was She was this is before nursing. Right. So she was she was doing odd jobs. She would right. babysit kids. She was doing she was delivering newspapers and that's right. what happened. Um she was uh delivering newspapers when she had the accident. And um and it, so it was just whatever Whatever came our way, yeah, and and, so and up on it. you know it's it's really interesting this the struggles that young couples have, married couples have, mm-hmm. but those are kind of to some extent the glue that binds them later in life as well because they've experienced that. Yeah, uh, Edison's birth was um, well, you, you were not home at the time, right? I I was home, um, Marcine had a massive headache, Mm -hmm. but she had committed to deliver these 700 newspapers. Right. So she went down to the guy, uh, picked up the the papers, and she was, uh, this was um, a, they called them samples. Okay. This was a new feature that the star was putting out. It's like a neighborhood paper or something like that. Right. So they were sending out, they were giving out newspapers to everybody. With the hopes that people would start to subscribe. And so this guy that hired her to do this, she had worked for him in the past. She worked pretty consistently as a substitute Mm -hmm. um, carrier. And he had called her up the day before and said, hey, I've got these 700 papers that need to be delivered. Are you available? And she said, yeah, you know, 100 bucks or whatever it was going to be for the payment. We're thinking, great, this will help pay down some bills. And Mm -hmm. she was eight months pregnant at the time. And she had this massive headache overnight. But got up and went to deliver the papers. So I'm at home. I was going to go into work late. I had Dalton at home. Well, Carissa wasn't feeling well that day, so she stayed home. So now I've got these two kids. Another reason, otherwise Dalton would have just gone with Marcin. Right. So I have these two kids at home. I'll just go into work late. Well, she called me up and she said, I can't see the paper that I'm supposed to follow to tell me where I'm delivering. Can you come, can you come meet me and you can read the paper? And I'll make sure I get these papers delivered. Right. And this is just, it, it It shows the dedication that Mar- Marcin has to whatever she mm-hmm. committed to. to. And so I go, she said she'd meet me at the church 
and I drove by the church. And this is in the early days of cell phones. And mm-hmm. she was she had a phone, but she did not keep it with her. She right. would frequently forget to carry it with her. And so this is mid-November. I'm trying to find coats and shoes for Carissa and Dalton. And Carissa was about eight. Dalton was about two. And for an eight-year-old and a two-year-old to find their coats and shoes, it was just almost impossible. So we finally find the coats and shoes. We get out to the car and I drive by the church, drive around the church parking lot. She's not there. And I'm calling no answer, which was not unusual. Right. Right. But it was, um, frustrating. Right. <laughs> cause I, told, I know she has her phone cause she called me and she told me the neighborhood she was in. I went down there. It's, uh, not the over, over Myers neighborhood, but it's in that general area. Right, it's a right. couple miles North of the church. So I drove into the neighborhood, drove onto the street that I knew she had been on or that where she was picking up the papers, but I had no idea where she was. And I was just winging it, trying to figure out, maybe I'll find her. So I went in a a couple blocks and I couldn't go any farther because there was a fire truck and an ambulance police car blocking the way. And I, my first thought was that drop in the pit of my stomach that, oh, what's happened? And I looked, but I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find any evidence of anything. Couldn't find Marcin, couldn't right. find the van, nothing. And so I thought, well, something must be going on at that house because that's where everything's happening. Right. Sorry for them, but I got to go find my wife. Right. So I back up, um, and as I, as I back up, I am able to see around a truck that was in the driveway, and I see our van up against the house. Okay, so this is the excitement. <laughs> so I park. I found Marcin. Chris <laughs> and Dalton are in the car, and I tell them, stay here. Right. I'm going to go find out what's going on. So I run up. <laughs> Police don't like when you run up towards the scene right. of an accident. Right. So they block me. They stop me. Sir, you can't go up there. I said, that's my wife. <laughs> and they asked me um, two questions. Is she diabetic? No. Does she have seizures? No. And it, the in my memory, the way that it all went down was that officer left. Another one came up. Is she diabetic? No. Does she have seizures? No. And so he leaves. Another one comes up. Is she diabetic? No. Does she have seizures? No. And it finally dawns on me that I need to let them know she's eight months pregnant. Okay. She was not a fan of maternity clothing, so she wouldn't have dressed like a pregnant person. Right. And so I did tell this third officer that she is eight months pregnant. Okay, that's good to know. And so I call. I was the ward clerk at the time, so I called the bishop just to let him know, here's what's going on with a member of your ward. I called her dad. Right. Hey, if there's any way, can you come pick up kids? I don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. but here's what right. I know. So Al comes up, and uh, the um, the paramedics come up to me, and they said, we're taking her to Methodist. Where's her doctor? Right. Her doctor was uh, St. Vincent Carmel. Right. And he thought for a second, he said, we're going to Methodist. Lights and sirens don't keep up. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I've got, okay. I've got plenty of time. Right. So um, Al came. He got, got the kids. I went down to the end of the street where the Jim, the guy who hired her to deliver mm-hmm. newspapers, lived. Um, he was not home, but his daughter was there. And I said, hey, just so you know, accident down the street. Marcin is not going to finish delivering papers. The car was still sitting on the mm-hmm. lawn. Right. Papers all out the back. And then I, so I make, start making phone calls as I'm driving to the hospital and I'd never been a Methodist before. So I, I get there, right. but you know, I call my boss. Hey, my wife's been in an accident. Don't know any details. I'm not coming in. 
uh, call my parents. Marcin's been in an accident. I don't know any details. I'm not. I'll, I'll keep you posted. Mm-hmm. And I call Jan and Al. Marcin, no details. Here's what I know. I get to the hospital, and I go through the the maze from the parking garage to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And I ask, uh, "Is my wife here?" And the the sweet girl at the desk um, looks confused when I say her name is Marcine. <laughs> because Marcine is not a common name, I thought. Right. If there's a Marcine, if there's a Williams, we might have six of those, right. but probably no chance of another Marcine. Mm-hmm. Marcine, Marcine, hmm, what's her last name? Williams. Oh, oh, yes, yes, she's here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wait here. So she goes back behind the double doors and uh, forever, she took forever. And when she comes back, it wasn't her, it was right. Alan. Right. Alan was the chaplain. He's got his white coat on. It says Alan Chaplain on there. I thought this is not good. And I had the uh, awareness to decide I'm not going to freak out. Right. I, it, poor Alan does not deserve my freak out. Mm-hmm. So I'll just wait until I know what is going on. Then I'll freak out. Okay. <laughs> so Alan brings me into this room, which is not very big. And it's just surrounded by couches and chairs and uh, he's so kind. He had an assistant with him, and uh, she didn't say a word, but Alan asked me to have a seat, and so please tell me what happened. And Hippolaz, he's not going to tell me anything. Right. So again, I'm not going to freak out. He doesn't deserve my wrath. Right. So I tell him what I know. This is what happened. I uh, get to the scene, and here's what I see. And so I tell him m- my what I know. And he said, well, the first thing I, I guess I should say is congratulations on the birth of your son. And I just kind of laughed and a little bit cried. And I said, I thought that might happen. And uh, thank you. And he said, he's got a great set of lungs, which would have been my, you know, eight months pregnant. I know the lungs are, right. are still developing. That was my big concern. Right. And all my kids had a lot of hair. So I asked him, does, does he have hair? Oh, he's got a lot of hair. I'm going to get you up to the NICU to see him in a minute. But first, we're going to get the uh, emergency room doctor to come in, and he'll tell you what happened to your wife. And I thought, that sounds really bad. That yeah. sounds so bad. Firefighter walks by as we're having our conversation and hands me a cup of ice water. Here, you may need this. This is not <laughs> This is not sounding great. So um, ER doc comes in, and he says, uh, Mr. Williams, is your wife Mormon? I said, yeah, she is. He said, just know that you had a Melchizedek priesthood holder working on her. And the the freak out that I was experiencing, thinking internally. that I was going to be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just instantly vanished. I felt sudden peace. And I did not know where things were going to go. Right. I did not know what condition she would be in. I just knew. Right. It was, it's going to be fine. Whatever that looks like, it's going to be fine. So he tells me she comes into the emergency room. She was fine. She had a massive seizure in the emergency room. The OB happened to be there, which I know the OB didn't happen to be there. She had another pregnant um, patient that she mm-hmm. was working with. And so the two minutes it would have taken her to get down from her office to the emergency room, she was already there. Right. So she saved that time. And uh, OB told me, I just... She was not doing well. Baby was not doing well. I just took him. So, so Edison was born in the emergency room. In the emergency room. 
C-section. C-section. Yeah. And so that is what the chaplain told you, and then that's... Well, the, it was the doctor who told me that. The doctor told you and that. And finally he said, oh, and she's fine. <laughs> Would you like to go see her? Yes, please. <laughs> Boy, they have you on pins and needles <laughs> through all this again. So, oh, my gosh. So I I go into the uh, the emergency room room that she was right, in, and right. she had uh, they had her all sewn up, and... They gave me a bag of her belongings, which included her glasses. She was hit in the head with the the, uh, the airbag. airbag, and okay. so her glasses were bent up. Right. Um, her both ankles were broken. One of them was a compound fracture, so her shoes had to be cut off. Right. They gave me the cut off shoes. I don't need cut off shoes. I'm not using these again. And uh, that's a memento for the occasion, <laughs> right? Okay. Fine. But it was it was so. There were so many things that lined up that that it had to be divine. Everything had to be divinely orchestrated. Had I not been able to stay home from work, she would have had Dalton with her. Right. And that could have been devastating. Right. Um, if Carissa hadn't been feeling sick, she would have got been to school. Dalton would have been with her. Um, if she didn't have this job to deliver papers, Allison would have come home. Marcine would not have called the doctor right. for herself. Right. And Marcine, she would have just felt lousy. She would have gone upstairs and probably the had seizure and had the seizure and died. And Allison would have come home from school and come into that. Um, the lady whose house she hit was the only one home in the that area of the neighborhood. She came out and she pointed to four houses surrounding hers and she said they're always home, but nobody was home. And in fact, this woman who um, was in the house, she was working from home that mm-hmm. day happened to be working from home that day, had gotten up earlier to go grab some lunch and decided, no, nah, I'm just going to finish this project, then I'll grab something. She had just finished when the impact hit. And so she was home. She was in a position where mm-hmm. she could call 911 when Marcine would not have done that for herself. So looking back at all that, how long, how long as you reviewed that with Marcine, how quickly did you notice the Lord's hand involved with that? It was pretty quickly. I think yeah. once once the ER doc told me that he was a Methodist priesthood holder. Oh, the ER it, doc himself was. Yeah, he himself elder. was. Do you recall who that was? I don't remember who it was. I think he's since moved. Okay, but um, yeah, he he was, he was that, a member. Oh, okay. It's nice to have those connections, yeah. even though you don't know about it, right? Yeah. I think it was in the Eagle Creek Ward or something okay. like that. And okay. So, wow, that's that's an amazing story. I don't think I've heard that aspect. If I have, it's gone out of my mind and stuff like that. But Edison was the last, mm-hmm. who is now a junior, junior in high school. 17 years old. 17 years old, driving on his own for all those out there concerned about that. Scary. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and Marcin... Recovered from everything, and yeah. she doesn't have those cut-off shoes anymore. You should have nope. bronzed those for Eddie, right? <laughs> Instead of like they used great. to do for kids back when I was growing up, and bronze their first pair of baby shoes, they yeah. bronze those for Eddie. <laughs> These were your I think I just shoes. dumped them in the trash at the hospital. <laughs> yeah, we know. Hindsight, right? So so that was the last of the Williams born. Mm-hmm. Now, you've seen a lot of things between now and then. Marcin has been working as an RN in various mm-hmm. capacities. You've recently retired, mm-hmm. okay, and are starting up as um, 
with your coaching business. Yep. I'm and the bad boss coach. You're the bad people boss who have bad coach. bosses. Yeah, bad boss coach. Um, so when you left home in 1987, 88, mm-hmm. did you see yourself this far in the future? What What did you envision for yourself? <laughs> I'm so old now that I don't think... I didn't know that the future could be this far out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I, what I imagined for myself back then. Okay. Um, I, I was such a, a timid person. Um, didn't realize that I could do things without my parents' permission. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that still comes back that I feel like I need my parents' permission to do things. And um, I remember in college one time, one of my buddies, we were in this, an art appreciation class and he said, I was 18 at this point. Mature <laughs> 18 year old. Okay. Yeah, so I, I didn't need parents' permission right. to do anything. But he said, Hey, um, what are you doing this weekend? I said, I'm not studying, whatever. He said, I'm going skydiving. You want to go? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I went skydiving. And back in those days, uh, the way I would communicate with my parents is I'd call them once a week and I'd right. call them. The, the code was I'd call collect. They would decline the call and then they'd call me because we had paid long right. distance calls. Yeah. Yeah. And um but I just wrote a letter. Right. Dear mom, I went skydiving yet uh, today and and actually it was I'm going skydiving tomorrow. I wrote the the letter on a Friday, mailed it knowing knowing she wouldn't get it till about Tuesday. But I was so excited afterwards I had to call okay. and say, guess what I just did? It was it was so great. Um now, was this a tandem jump thing? It was a tandem jump that okay, I did, yeah. Okay. Okay. It was, and what did your mom say after hearing it? She, in in classic mom uh, fashion, was shocked and <laughs> horrified that I would do such a thing. But mom, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm on the ground. Yeah. I'm alive still. Right, right. And, but it was, it's, um, it's been fun over the years as I've discovered that I can do things that I don't, I don't need somebody to tell me that it's okay for me to do it. I've, mm-hmm. I've done all sorts of things. I've traveled to Europe and I've, I've written books and I've done podcasts and mm-hmm. all, all sorts of things that are just fun. And, and I haven't even scratched the surface of what I think I'm, um, uh, what's possible. Right. And so that's looking back. So looking ahead, I mean, you've got your business, the, Coaching business for bad bosses, for all you bad bosses out there. This isn't for you. It's for your employees. Right. Send your employees over. Yeah, send your employees over. If you think you have, Ken could probably transition to bad employees if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I could probably do that too. Yeah, so, but um, now that you, you've retired from FedEx, I mean, retired is a, I, I don't know if it's, it, it, I mean, retiring at 56, right? 55. 55. That's, you still don't a lot have, of years on me still. Yeah, you still have a ton of years on you. And plus that, you because of requirements and things like that, as far as your insurance and stuff mm-hmm. like that, either Marcin or you, what do you see coming forward? I mean, building your business, what else? Looking forward. So one of the things that I've um, been thinking about is something that I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever, really thought consistently about what I want. Um, I've lived a lot of my life thinking about what I don't want. I don't want um, to lose my house. I mm-hmm. don't want to 
work nights. I don't want, and, and I think maybe I'm unique, but I don't think so. I think a lot of times we spend so much of our time thinking about what we don't want. We don't consider what we do want and where do I want to live? Where do I want to, um, work how do i want to work how do what do i want my day to look like mm-hmm. instead of well this is what my life is and i just i wish i didn't have to right work overnight i wish i didn't have to and as i have started thinking about that um moving towards what i want rather than away from what i don't want uh there's a saying that i i heard it um i've heard it several times over the years but i happened to hear it yesterday that uh, you can play your life to win or you can play not to lose. And I think so many times we play not to lose mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a completely different way of thinking to play to win. It is. And, um, the, the thing that's a challenge is that the, the rules are totally different when you play to win than when you play not to lose. And I'm a rules person. I, when I said my dad, uh, called me a chameleon. It wasn't a, an insult. It was just an observation that mm-hmm. you discover what people want and you give it to them. Mm-hmm. And so I have for a lot of my life been trying to find the rules. What are the rules? What are the rules in church? What are the rules in work? What are the rules in school? What are the rules? And once you tell me what you're looking for, I'll give it to you. Right. And once you start playing to win, there are no rules. And so th- I get to create my own rules. And that is completely liberating and terrifying at the same time, right? Because there's nobody to give me permission. I don't. I don't need somebody to give me permission, right? But uh, one example is for a lot of months, at a minimum, I'd been thinking about. Now I loved my job at FedEx. I loved the actual job, but the um, the politics and things like that. Not a fan, right? And I've never been one of the the game players, I wasn't going to shape shift into what the upper management wanted for me to promote. Mm-hmm. And my attitude was, this is what you get. And if you don't like it, then you don't like it. And I'm not going to become somebody different just to get the job that would be the next step. Right. And, um, so I started this coaching program, um, a month and a half ago and the, uh, the coach was asking, so what do you want? what I want is I want to leave my job. He said, okay, why don't you? Oh, and I'd never thought about, <laughs> why don't I? And, and there are all the reasons and all the, the uh, terrifying thoughts that come up that, well, uh, what do I do with my day? What do I do with my life? And um, I did, you know, I was waiting for somebody to tell me it was okay. And I talked to Marcin one night and she said, I support you with whatever you decide to do. I said, so if I choose this day <laughs> to, right. to no longer work at FedEx, she said, yeah, that sounds good to me. Oh. So now living a life, <laughs> living a life without rules is uh, totally different right. than living. You've got the, the constraint of you got to be at work at this time and you can't leave until this time and you've got to do these certain tasks and things like that. And now um, it's liberating and terrifying at the same time. So I'm just, I'm I'm moving into that a little bit and trying to figure out so what's next? So, so would you say completely without rules or what, what um, safety nets are in there? Because, I mean, we could take a look at, you know, it is, it's liberating to be able to say, oh, I don't have to get up at 
Right. In your case, 5 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> right. And then go to work at FedEx and stuff like that. But at the same time, there are things in our lives that act as a natural, um, I don't want to say fence. I'm, I don't think I can come up with the right word, but something that keeps you in check. Mm-hmm. And that might be the covenants, our covenants, the Holy Ghost, whatever the case might be. Right. Living without rules sounds like anarchy to somebody. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. but but at the same time, there are those things that do keep us contained, yeah. you know, in circumspect and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think that's the, the question, what do I want? Um, what I want. So something that I did for New Year's, and uh, I've never— Consider doing this before. I like it so far. I made a list of everything that I could think of from 2023 that I wanted to forgive and let go. And it was not necessarily sinful mm-hmm. behavior that I wanted to forgive and let go, but it was things like um, having um, judgmental thoughts mm-hmm. about people or about situations or whatever. It was it was uh, stuff like that. I want to let go the idea that whatever it was. And so I, I made that list. I actually destroyed the list. I mm-hmm. left it in Denver as we were flying back Okay, <laughs> on New Year's Eve. And then I made a list of kind of the opposites that I don't, instead of being judgmental of people uh, and their, where they are in their mm-hmm. own personal progression, I want to be fascinated that their, maybe their healing process or their, their, um, growth is different than what I have experienced myself. And um, instead of being fearful about what's next, I want to be curious about what's next. And so I I made that list, and this is my becoming list. This is mm-hmm. what I'm going to be becoming in 2024. And I've been, so far, I've been reading through that every day. And four days. Good job. Guys. I know. Fantastic. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of things for four days. <laughs> today is January 4th, one day. Four so, days. But you can only do every day, one right. day at a time. Yeah. And um, so if I, if I have a direction, and one of the things that I want, I want to be able to serve a mission with, with Marcine. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a, a condition that right. Marcine put on the marriage that we're going to serve a mission because yep. she didn't get to go. Right. And so that's, there are things that I need to do now to be prepared for that. And there are mm-hmm. some spiritual things that I can do. There are some um, financial things that I can do. There are some social things that I can do. And um, that's where the rules come in. That's mm-hmm. where the boundaries come in. And so uh, I don't want to be... Um, Netflixing and chilling all day. Yep. Um, but I do want to. I I do want to have. So I have on my list every day. Come follow me and and um, re- reviewing my becoming list and mm-hmm. and the things that I uh, have been doing that I like. I've been excited about is as I go through my day today. I'm building my list of what I want to accomplish tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then the thing I and I don't know what I what my starting date on this was. But it's been a couple of weeks where I have been totally committed to getting my list done every day, and um, I've been a hundred percent at at getting it done. And and the it's 
not just easy stuff like get up, get out of bed. One of my things um, that that I want to accomplish is I want to um, I want to be prepared for the day and not not sleep through the day. And my uh, <laughs> my chocolate cake bites podcast. I have a couple episodes where I've talked about goals and and I've shifted in my goal thinking over the years. Right. And um, I used to think that goals were kind of a, a binary. You got it or you didn't. Right. You won or you lost. Right. And now I'm seeing goals as more of a, this is the direction for my life. And I probably won't hit the 20-pound weight loss that I want in the next 60 days mm-hmm. because I'm just bad at guessing timelines. And so instead of giving up on it at day 61, I'll look at it and say, you know what? I probably should have guessed 90 days <laughs> instead of 60 days. And... Um, so that's, so that's where I am. That's where the, that's where the rules are coming from, but it's not somebody else's rules. It's the rules that come from me as I start working towards the thing that I, the things that I really want. I think that's great. I think that's, um, we, we have talked a lot about a lot of stuff and, um, I, we should probably wrap it up, but yeah. yeah, but I could talk for a long time. I know, but <laughs> as many people know, yeah, I think maybe at some point we, because there's other things. I mean, I I'd written down, you know, there's so many things I've learned because I consider myself an introvert as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm only a. You're actually, you're born on the first of November. Mm-hmm. I, I'm five days younger than you, born on November sixth. So. Fellow Scorpio, I, yes. I I consider I consider myself as well a um, introvert, and I liked how you said hybrid because the people looked at me the same way. I, I'm I'm much more comfortable with myself than hmm. you know being flung out there and stuff like that. So those are all kind of things that we have in common in kids and and uh, seeing our kids grow up together and stuff like that. But there was. There was a number of things I had on here as well. Marcin family mission school. Yeah, we got over there. I don't think I even wrote down chocolate cake on this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did. Uh, real quick, church life. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in the church, and maybe we'll close with this, is, is um, what what do you see— if, if, if you could give advice to your young— 17-year-old just graduating from high school and preparing you for the future, what would what advice would you give yourself? Learn to forgive yourself. Okay. Um, and not just for the, the rules that you break, the sins that you commit. It's... Um, I... I grew up I was a rules follower and if I didn't follow the rules then there was some some shame in that mm-hmm. and I think that it's it's not helpful um being unkind to myself beating myself up because uh, it's January 3rd I think this is where I was last year January 3rd and I forgot my come follow me for the day mm-hmm. so now my 365 day streak that I wanted to have I've blown it already and uh, all right I guess mm-hmm. doesn't even matter now, mm-hmm. and um, I think as I've as I've learned to to be kind, one of the things I consider every day is what do I need to forgive from yesterday, 
um, being kind, being forgiving, being um, uh, understanding of my own personal growth process is so much more um, it's it it makes it so much easier to to grow I think we, the natural man is an enemy to God, one of my favorite scriptures, and I think it's so deep and so complex that I think we don't even understand it mm-hmm. um, at much more than a surface level. But I think our natural tendency is to beat ourselves up, to shame ourselves into obedience. And I don't respond well to that. I That's my natural tendency, right. is you stupid idiot. All you had to do was read one passage today. Right. And all you had, how come you couldn't even figure that out? And that's not motivating. That does not motivate me to to improve and do better. And this idea, like I mentioned with goals, that, um, well, I thought I was going to have a 365-day streak, and I guess I'm not. I'm going to have a 361-day streak. Right. Or a 189-day streak or whatever. And it's the the being kind and um, respectful and, and curious about, okay, what happened? What happened yesterday that I forgot to do my come follow me. Why did I miss that? And learn from it rather than, you're, you're such an idiot. You can't even do this. You can't spend one minute. Right. And um, that's, been, uh, that's been really eye-opening for me because I don't, I personally don't respond well to uh, shame and mm-hmm. blame. And... Um, but I think the natural tendency is that's how we that's why how we try to motivate ourselves. And I think that is a great insight to what President Nelson has asked us to do for daily repentance. Mm-hmm. Because when you take a look at that from okay, here's the prophet of the church saying, "Oh, we need to repent daily." But what you just relayed gives it a much more. Um, meaningful aspect to it because, you know, forgive yourself as far as repenting, I can do that better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not necessarily every single day you're going to rob a bank and you need to repent of that. Right. It's, it's same things, giving yourself permission, giving yourself your own rules or living without rules as the case might be to, to be that way. And to, I loved what you said earlier too, uh, instead of being fearful, be curious. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and, and being able, curious about other people, being curious about, you know, yourself going forward. What 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 is my potential and things like that? I, I think that's a great insight, Ken, that, you know, people should should listen to. I think that that's a great insight, being able to progress and move from there. Heavenly Father wants us to to grow. He doesn't want us to sit and wallow in our sorrows or our self-pity or whatever the case might, or, you know, stupid Jeff, whatever the case might be. You know, he wants us to grow and he's there. He's our, he wants us to win. Going back to what you said, a winning attitude as opposed to the other. So, uh, it's, it's been a, a pleasure, Ken, talking with you. We didn't, again, we didn't even mention, and I didn't write down chocolate we'll do, cake. That's, that's we'll do part an, two. Yeah, that's part two. That's another, <laughs> another discussion. Um, for those of you who've listened in, thanks for listening in to the Fisher Second Ward podcast. Uh, this is Jeff as guest host with my guest, who is guest, uh, interviewee. <laughs> it's Ken Williams. Thanks and have a wonderful week. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fisher Second Ward podcast. Please share it with members of the ward or others who you think might be interested or might be enriched and blessed by listening to our stories. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.